calling all lovers of mystery and fans of a good story. If you haven't already heard me talk about June's journey, you're in for a treat. It's time to don your detective hat in this free hidden object mobile game that delves into the captivating journey of June Parker, a self-proclaimed detective on a quest to unravel the mystery surrounding her sister's untimely death. In June's journey, you get to play as June, deciphering clues and unveiling secret plots within thousands of beautifully illustrated scenes. And did I mention it's set in the glitzy 1920s? New chapters are added weekly, so you will never run out of new thrills to uncover, and you can also personalize and decorate your very own Orchid Island where the story takes place. How sharp are your detective skills? Find out when you download June's Journey on your Android or iOS device, or play online via Facebook games. Your detective journey awaits. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. It's time for the Life Writing Podcast with your hosts, authors and screenwriters Stephen Barnes and Tanana Reeve Du. All about creating the project of your dreams while living a balanced artist's life. Be the hero or heroine of your own story. Sponsored by LifeWritingPremium.com. Get ready to write for your life. Welcome to the Life Writing Podcast, where married authors Stephen Barnes and Tanana Reeve do talk about writing during stressful times, breaking into Hollywood, and balancing life. Every week, we're sharing more tips on how to build a better life while you create your dream projects, even if it's only one sentence a day. Life writing is the application of the tools of writing to life and the tools of life to your writing. Hello, everybody. Hey. We're back. Well, I'm back. You might have noticed. You might have noticed that I did the intro by myself this week because Steve is actually not quite here in the studio yet. He's racing here on the freeways. He just had a a lunch with his mentor, Larry Niven. They're working on a book project together, and he's racing here to get here as quickly as as we can. And we have an amazing guest today, Gabino Iglesias. But before we bring Gabino in, just a, a little bit about what's going on with me, whatever that that illness is I picked up on the road in between trips for book promotion. I have finally, I think, gotten it a little bit out of my systems. In fact, someone suggested oil of oregano to me, which I had never thought about as medicinal. But when you look up oil of oregano, the, the properties are pretty incredible. And I just I just took a cup. I took one last night and one this morning. I don't know if it's in my head or a coincidence, but I feel so much better, like that loji kind of like, oh, I need to lie down feeling has started is just going away. I'm more energetic. So I'm I'm a big believer in that and the oil of oregano for now. I'm sticking by that. So check that out. And I am really, really excited because it's a rare occasion. We actually have a voicemail from a listener. I, I managed to find this this listener on Twitter, or I guess this is an X now. We're supposed to call it shitter, right? That's certainly what I call it. But anyway, this is our voicemail. Hello, my name is Tristan Evans. I just discovered the podcast about a month or two ago, and I absolutely love it. I love hearing you guys talk about your creative process and just your experience in Hollywood and talking about you know facing rejection. And for example, with The Keeper, how... It, you, you wanted to write it as a feature film, but you ended up uh, reimagining it as a graphic novel. Just all these gems that are just so useful to us aspiring writers who are trying to get where you guys are. I love how you also relate it to your relationship and finding your soulmate and, and being a creative who's married to a creative or being a creative who's trying to make love work and how you can make love work. Again, just great podcast. I love it. I look up to you guys so much and i'm going to continue to listen to you just to, to to help guide me throughout my own writing journey so thank you guys so much i love the life writing podcast i'm going to take the class as well <laughs> but again thank you guys so much for doing what you do 
Is that not the sweetest voice? Thank you, Tristan, for that. Okay, that because that is, I know. All right, audience, calm down. It wasn't that sweet. I mean, it is sweet, but not worth twice. So that was a really sweet voicemail because it, it really hit every every button in terms of what we're trying to do with this podcast. We're trying to sort of put down the the breadcrumbs so that writers can come right behind us. If there's anything useful I learned today, I'm going to teach it either today or tomorrow as far as I'm concerned, because not everybody has 25 years to figure this out. <laughs> like it's basically taken us, or I'll speak for myself, it's me and me. And also, I love how he said at the end, he's going to buy the course because we do have this podcast. But what people forget is that we also sell a course called Life Writing Premium, which is an actual weekly module, take at your own pace, writing course full of lectures, stuff I've done at Antioch University, Geneva Writers Conference, stuff that Steve has done. And we we put it all together for you. So if you like this podcast, check out the course too. But enough of the ads. Thank you again, Tristan, for that great, that absolutely amazing testimonial. We're so happy that you enjoy the podcast. But I'm ready to introduce our guest because this is the fun part. I have been meaning to have this guest on for the longest time. And I couldn't believe it when I realized here we are at episode 86 and he hasn't been on yet. That's ridiculous. So Gabino Iglesias is a writer, professor, book reviewer, editor, translator living in Austin, Texas. He is the author of the Bram Stoker Award winning novel, The Devil Takes You Home. Special applause for that. Also the first Latino writer to win a Bram Stoker Award for Best Novel. So we will talk about that as well. But he is, I mean, he's he's his reviews appear regularly in places like NPR, the Los Angeles Review of Books. He's been a juror for the Shirley Jackson Awards. He teaches creative writing in an online MFA program. And I don't know, I, that's I just want to bring him on because I'm ready to talk. Please welcome to the studio, Gabino Iglesias. <laughs> Welcome. The audience is spicy. Applause ever. Yes. (laughs) See, (laughs) you've probably been on other podcasts, but none of them with that kind of audience. Yeah. Right. Special. It can only go downhill from now. No. Uh, Now you're now you're just spoiled. You're spoiled. (laughs) You're right. It's it's going to go downhill, but it won't go downhill here. It'll be downhill the next time you try to do a podcast, and you're like, "Where's my applause?" So. I hardly know where to begin with you. Uh, I feel like I know you, but in reality, we have not met. So that is in my head. Yeah, yeah, it does because I, I, we're both, you know, we're both on shitter. I didn't call it with the X. Okay, that's he, he changed it to the X. So when you spell it out. That is what it says. Okay. You don't type X to go on that site, by the way, if you're on your computer, you're still <laughs> typing the old name. You sit the X on top and it's it's shitter. And yeah, we're gonna get an explicit rating this week because I'm gonna be saying it a lot. But we know each other from I'll call it the old neighborhood, the crumbling neighborhood, the fire. <laughs> Like the raging dumpster fire. But I have to say, I admire so much about your social media presence. Not just that you're so savvy, obviously, at book marketing, which you are, but you are a community builder among writers on Twitter. You're just always there with encouragement. You're always there with a kind word. And I'm going to segue from that into kind of a funny story which seems unrelated, although I think it's funny to juxtapose your open, supportive nature with what happens in this story when your publisher asked me to write a blurb for The Devil Takes You Home. (laughs) As usual, I was running a little bit late and the deadline was closing in and I was like, oh, no, 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 please, please. I want to, I really want to. And to assure you that I was reading the book, I sent you an email that you read while you were standing in the line of a grocery store and this is what you saw of the email. I just wanted to let you know how much your book sucks. Yes. <laughs> That's what it said. Yeah, yep. how much your book So, What was your reaction <laughs> when you saw I, that? I had pushed the little grocery cart to the side and I got the notification. It's an email. I saw it was from you. And so I got all excited. And then I pushed the cart to the side because I don't like to stand in the middle. People got stuff to do. And uh, I read that first line and just I felt 
my heart hit the bottom of my my shoes. And I was like, wow, this is what you get because you reach for the stars. You, you put together a dream blurb list and you ask a living, a very young living legend to blurb your book. And sometimes they're just brutally honest and the book sucks. All right. Okay. But here's what the email really said. And this is what he, <laughs> he discovered. The second line. <laughs> the second line was the most important. I just wanted to let you know how much your book sucked me in from the very first word. Which is completely different. (laughs) It's a completely different vibe. And I am in my blurb and I'm going to read the actual blurb was the devil takes you home is a wild ride through grief, faith, loss and monstrosity. Gabino Iglesias' sharp prose and visceral haunting vision have birthed a riveting novel. No reader will soon forget fresh and genuinely scary. And that's the real blurb. That's what this book is about. And also... Welcoming, welcoming hubby Stephen Barnes to the Hi studio. There. You I made it, I just got back from, from writing, and actually I was uh, mentoring a the winner of a contest for Analog Magazine. And that was oh. a lady, a lady, a black lady who lives in Israel, curiously oh, enough. That was delightful. So I, I zipped down the freeway and got here because yeah. I did not want to miss this because she was telling me how wonderful you are and brilliant and all like this. And I just like, oh, I've got to see this. Absolutely. So, she's very good at fiction, so you shouldn't believe her. <laughs> oh, no way. No, but anyway, we were just sharing that funny anecdote about how, <laughs> how my my email looked uh, in terms of, of his book and, and how it turned out to be a happy ending after all. And I guess, first of all, let's jump into it with horror because, you know, before Jordan Peele, certainly, but Jordan Peele is one of those flashpoints where you can look at before and after in terms of interest in marginalized horror. And even though his horror is Black, I have noticed that Get Out seems to have kicked the door open in cinema, at least for all kinds of marginalized horror that, you know, otherwise we would have been missing out on. And there's sort of a parallel path that's been happening for maybe related or unrelated reasons with the rise of writers like you, Silvio Moreno Garcia, Stephen Graham Jones, Alma Katsu. I mean, Katsu, the life, the, the, the list goes on and on. And it's, I think it's a great time for all of us to rejoice as horror fans, because tell me what you think about this, Gabino. I think part of what makes horror work is that you haven't seen it a hundred times already. You don't know the dialogue before the character speaks because you're in a new landscape. You're dealing with a new mythology. Your characters are unlike people, you know, doesn't that just make horror better for everybody? I think so. And I teach creative writing. So I, I, I discuss this thing a lot with my students. And it's uh, it's perfectly fine if you crave that happy ending because your life sucks. And then you turn to romance because you know it's going to deliver. So you right. might not know what happens in the middle, but you are almost guaranteed 99.9% of the time, you know what's going to happen. Boy, girl, 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 boy, boy, girl, ghost. They're going to end up together somehow. And it's going to be happily ever after. Uh, horror, you go in. And you don't know. Yeah. Everybody died. Maybe no one dies. And you just you're enthralled from the from the from the opening lines. And then whenever someone pulls it off brilliantly, you go through it. And I think it was I stole this from Stephen Graham Jones, who who called his work a cake. So what he puts on the top is like ghosts and demons and werewolves and stuff because it looks shiny and it you know brings in the readers. And then the stuff inside is like politics and life and, you know, social commentary. Yeah. And you brought Jordan Peele. So talk about entertaining. It's It's got swagger. It's got style. He created a, an aesthetic. And then right underneath that, you go like, wow, this dude is really incredibly smart. And he's saying a lot of things Yes, <laughs> on top of making a, a great horror movie or many great horror movies now. So. Yeah. Yes, yes, you, yes. One of the things that uh, you said there about the variety that exists within horror, that sometimes people survive, sometimes everybody gets you know pureed. It's one of the things that makes short horror so great. Horror, a horror collection or anthology allows you to go from, vin- from, from short story world to, to world to world. And in the context like that, the darkest, ugliest, nastiest stuff but you're out of it in 15 minutes or, or, yes. or half hour. You get to go, go to an aperitif and, and a palate cleanser next. 
you know, which could be a different mood. So, you know, horror, we all have fear. It's one of the most, it's one of the primary things that drive us. So, you know, horror and romance in some ways, like two ends of the same spectrum of, you know, in, in, dealing with death and embracing life. Mm. So horror is important. Well put. And I'm so glad you brought up uh, short fiction because Gabino and I are also in a, an anthology called Other Terrors, Ew. an inclusive anthology that the Horror Writers Association published. And your, I don't remember the name of your short story, but there's a line from your story. I mean, I guess you could consider it a spoiler and it's such <laughs> a simple line, but it, it just cut me so deep. It isn't fair. It isn't fair. Yeah. It isn't fair. And I'm like, <laughs> yeah, it's not fair. <laughs> It's, it hasn't been for a long time. <laughs> right. <laughs> when has it ever been fair? And, you know, and speaking of unfairness, some of that went into the stew that was the devil takes you home. You know, we don't always talk to every writer about like what led you to write this novel, but the story behind it is so interesting. And it did grab me from the very first because your protagonist is, and their situation is so compelling. They have a sick child. I don't think that's spoilery to say that it starts with the parents with a sick child. And, and I kept rooting for this guy to make good choices. But anyway, <laughs> good luck. <laughs> that wasn't that alas, that was not the path. But can you guys have too much fun. <laughs> can you talk a little bit about your personal journey, especially having to do with the healthcare system, insurance, leading to the 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 mad dash to finish this novel? Uh, sure thing. I moved to Austin in 2008 to go to the University of Texas at Austin to work on, on my PhD. And since 2008, all the way to 2020, which is when I when I sold The Devil Takes You Home, it was it was ups and downs. You know, that's that's life. So I was I, I moved here. I was broke. Uh, I landed a job teaching uh, audio at the University of Texas at Austin uh, because I had a TA ship for a whole bunch of years. They helped me with tuition and I had health insurance. And then that was over. And so I had health insurance and like crappy jobs and everything went downhill. And then I worked at a insurance company. And so I had health insurance again and a steady paycheck. And then I got fired from there because uh, I had to take care of a sick family member <laughs> and I oh. had too many days off. So it was back to like being broke and not being able to pay rent and not having health insurance. And then I taught high school for two years. And then just as the pandemic was raging, they said we... We don't know what's going to happen in August. We're bringing core classes and you teach ethnic studies and like journalism. None of that matters. So mm. we're, not, <laughs> we're not bringing those classes uh, online in August. You don't have a contract. So as the pandemic was raging, I was out of a job and had no health insurance again. And that's I was about 30,000 words into the devil takes you home. And I thought, well, I'm going to spend a lot of time inside. No one's hiring because I spend like three months, eight hours per day trying to get a, a job and that wasn't working out. So I thought mm. I can use this as a I'm a full time writer now and I can try to get this novel out of the door. <laughs> and it was it was that last, you know, that Hail Mary, like this might actually work out because I have the time to to put in and I couldn't afford therapy because I didn't have health insurance. So all the all the anger and, the, and the, the, the violence in my heart and all the racism that I'd seen in the previous half decade, it just went into the novel and it kind of worked out because it actually didn't suck. You didn't you didn't. No, think it, it did not suck. <laughs> And uh, yeah, no. And then it came out and it, it we made history. The devil and I made history together. So I'm incredibly lucky because everybody talks about putting in the work and, and doing the, you know, the right thing. Um, the right agent at the right time with the right book. It's it's like winning the lottery. So you put the work in, but that part you can't control. So incredibly lucky. And, and very, very thankful that it actually worked. So. And you had published a couple of books before that. So it, it wasn't your first, but it sounds like it sold very quickly because if you were writing it during the pandemic and you sold it in 2020. Well, I did. Uh, I, I, my first, I started writing in English in 2008. And so between 2008, 2010 or 2011, I had a novel that I was sending out to agents and it never got picked up. Mm. And recent, it wasn't that good. Uh, <laughs> but I'm sure it also did not suck. <laughs> I mean, 
They say don't send out your first novel that you ever write. I might say don't send out the first novel that you ever write in your second language. Ah, yeah. That might be a little better. But it was then after that, my first book came out in in 2012. And I did this thing with with indie presses for 14 years and four or five books. But you've been around. You know that indie presses, that's not, don't quit your day job. Uh, No, no, (laughs) not any, no, not at all. Yeah, this one we we I finished in October of, of 2020, got an agent in October of 2020. She had sort of been waiting for it for me to finish it. And I think April of 2021, you know, we polished it over the the winter break. Mm-hmm. Publishing shuts down. No one's reading new manuscripts in December. So early, early in 2021, we sold it and uh came out August 2022. And I'm still trying to do the thing. You are well. You're more than doing it, everyone. You gotta, you gotta grab this book. It is horror. It, but what I loved about it from the very beginning is that it's so rooted in character. So even though I did not always feel like he was making good choices, <laughs> I believed his choices, and that's the most important thing in horror: is that you believe the characters. That it's not in service to the story we want to tell, but it's the story they're creating by the decisions that they make. You can shop from anywhere doing pretty much anything. You might shop while working, eating, or even listening to this podcast. And however you shop, we all know and love the thrill of the hunt. But do you also know how to get the thrill of the best deals? Because Rakuten shoppers do. With Rakuten, they get the deals they love with the most savings and cash back. And you can get it too. Start getting cash back at your favorite stores like Sephora, Nike, and even Expedia if you're looking to get some travel in. And getting cash back doesn't mean you have to miss out on sales because those can just be stacked right on top. It's easy to use and based on a simple idea. Stores pay Rakuten for sending them shoppers and Rakuten shares the money with you as cash back through PayPal or check. Download the free Rakuten app and never miss a deal. Or go to Rakuten.com to start getting the most bang for your buck. That's R-A-K-U-T-E-N. At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI. It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. So, yeah. Is is that why with that struggle story you've told us, you are so passionate about giving advice to new writers in your social media, because you have more posts encouraging people to write than you do about your own work, which is, you know, saying a lot for someone who's as savvy about marketing on the on, on social like media as you are. a profound sense of gratitude that yeah. you, have, you, you have found a way to be in the world that allows you to feel whole and you feel writing was a very important part of this. And so your obvious empathy with young writers is, you know, if you're putting a lot of time and energy into that, it's because you you adore it and you empathize with the younger you who was afraid that you wouldn't be able to create a career in life. Not you, uh, Stephen, you nailed it. It's uh, it's it's sort of a, it's a mixture of things. I, I know that every single starting writer has this moment where they're just like, I just, I don't want to do this anymore. I feel, I'm not starting writers. All writers have. Yeah, that. yeah. All, on every project, all the time. We're you know we're, every day. We uh, need to encourage each other. We need to to tell each other that the dark night of the soul comes to us all every time. You know, and so that you don't feel like the voices in your head are real things. They're just projections of our fear. And when you can get those voices out onto the page, sometimes you can get the distance you need to look at your behavior. And yeah. once again, you said it's therapeutic. It's therapeutic. You can save lives by by helping people feel that they can express themselves in their art. You're probably saving somebody's life. And I, I'm not exaggerating at all. Thank you. 
yeah, it's it's not an easy business. This isn't like a career like you go to school for four years and then you you land a job and you start making six figures. It, it doesn't work that way. Um, it might take four years. It might take eight or twelve or fourteen, which that's what it took uh, for me. But uh, once you get there, it's so sweet, and you get to hang out with people that like the both of you, and uh, you get the to best. Go- and, and encourage other individuals and teach workshops and let them know that, oh, that agent said no to you. I can't, let me check my email real quick. Yeah, they also said no to me. That's right. <laughs> right. That's, right. That's so great. What said, it's not that this is friend. the top, right. but, but to understand that for most writers, we're living the dream. Most people who are trying to get in, you know, we're living the dream. So if this was the top, then the following statement would be, would be good. Somebody said, if, you're, if it's lonely at the top, you did it wrong. <laughs> I like that. I look at like earning your way into the company of other obsessive compulsive people who understand your obsession is one of life's greatest rewards. <laughs> yes. You, you, know, can't, what, you can't pay your way into a conversation like this. You have to earn it. What what's some of the worst advice you got along the way? As I, I've seen you allude to bad advice many times in social media. What's some of the worst advice you've gotten along the way? I mean, let's start with me complaining about not being able to find an agent with that first novel. And someone said, use a pseudonym, like right under a different name, change your name because your name has too many vowels. Uh, I I, I don't know about that one, man. Oh, that's Uh, not getting any traction with me. (laughs) No. With the audience. Um, There was the whole, I know you have three jobs, but you have to make sure that you write every single day. And I was like, you know that life happens, right? Like, don't underestimate the amount of work that you do while stuck in traffic or warming up your coffee or in the shower. Uh, You're listening to the voices. You're working. It's all percolating. Um, Mm. I've, I've heard the, you need to write in the morning because that's when your brain is working the best. And then I heard the, no, 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 you have to after the day's over, when you can really concentrate. So like between 10 and midnight, that's when you should really work. Oh, no. Don't do the bilingual thing because this is an American market. You're never going to sell a book writing in Spanglish. Oh, yeah. There's a lot of Spanglish. There's a lot of translated Spanish that you have to contextually figure out. Like, oh, no, horrors, right? So, yeah. (laughs) And also you're fighting against the use of italics in Spanish, which is something I mentioned to you on Twitter. Daniel Jose Older has also spoken out about that. I think that that's important. That's something I have picked up and and argued for my editors with my editors that, you know, no, I don't want to italicize these, these words. And you shouldn't. And now I'm just remembering, thinking about your work to, I remember hearing to write for a white American audience because black folks and brown folks don't read. I remember hearing that around 2011. Oh my gosh. So yeah, that's <laughs> there's well, uh, thank goodness you've survived all that bad advice to be unapologetically you, because your work is very gritty. It goes there. I wonder, do you scare yourself sometimes when you're writing? I mean, do you are you superstitious at all about anything you put in your work? Oh, I, would, I was born and raised in the Caribbean with, with a with a witch for a grandma. Like it's all of it, black cats walking under the, you know, the ladders and don't spill the salt, all that stuff. <laughs> I don't think it's as much as scare as, as you know, when you're writing about dark subjects, both of you know this, sometimes you dig a little too deep and you get yourself into a mood that's not the healthiest for your, for your mental health. Right. And you might feel a little sad or a little violent or a little something else, a little depressed. So I've, I've developed over the years, like, go out, listen to the birds or walk the dog, touch grass, do something that <laughs> go, go, go to the playground with the dog, like walk around it. And then there's like children laughing and you're like, all yes. right, this is, it's okay. Or just call a friend, call my mom, call a friend and have a nice conversation about something that's not. Uh, uh, grief and then loneliness and monsters and, and people dying and uh, all that horrific stuff. So I love you bringing that up. I think you're the first horror writer we've had on the podcast who was a who has addressed directly the relationship between our subject matter and our mood, right? Yeah. Because I know one of the reasons it took me so long to write the Reformatory was because I did not like being in 1950 in florida so and i was doing all the research taking all the the hits of like how horrific reality was so frankly i could soften it by turning it into a ghost story that's more entertaining 
than traumatizing, which was my goal. But I had to take all that trauma. I had to hear all those stories and talk to those survivors. And yeah, you do, you do get in a mood and I'm, I'm glad you brought that up because part of our podcast is not just craft and how you come up with your stories, but also how you balance the writer's life, whether it's your time or your emotions, which is a, a big, big piece. And now where you stand as a, a very successful, successful writer in terms of certainly your acclaim, your reach, your prospects. It's a different place than you were back in 2008, but magically all your problems don't go away just because you've reached the top of another mountain, right? In fact, new problems emerge. How do you confront the the stresses of a writer's life, like finding that, of course, you can't write first thing in the morning, right? For a lot of teachers, certainly you're not because you, you have to go to work. You, you're a parent, right? You you have all kind you have other things going on. So how do you, how do you manage your, 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 your emotions? Uh, there's, there's literature that makes me happy. There's a lot of music that makes me happy. I like to say that in the morning, I'm, I'm in such a hurry in the mornings that I don't even prepare coffee. So things like death metal get me going. Oh, uh, So I, I'd like to start the day with like double bass drum. That sounds like a machine gun. But at the end of the day, I need to hear angels singing. So it's like I will I will trade in all that stuff for for jazz or mm. uh, some force of nature like Nina Simone. Like let's let's listen to someone who has a soul in their voice and it's healing even all through her pain that you can hear in her voice. It, it heals your soul and and then this sounds strange, but it's like after an entire day writing horror, I will sit down and watch horror. And that very- is not strange. That's perfectly normal. <laughs> yes, I mean, doesn't everybody do that? <laughs> Only the good people. <laughs> Come on. I mean, I'm so glad spooky season's approaching. You know, people are posing with pictures outside of like the Halloween stores and, and, and yes. the decorations. I was like, oh my gosh, it's only August. But okay, I'm with it. I'm with it. I watch a horror movie probably every day. I, I think so. It's very possible. Either with Steve or on my own, or we watch one later. <laughs> horror is totally my jam, especially low budget horror, because I I really appreciate the creativity that goes into bringing in a horror movie at a price where you have to rely on imagination and performances, and you don't have the big budget for the CGI and the special effects. What are your favorite horror movies recently? Recently? What have I watched recently? Or whenever. It doesn't have to be recent. I mean, there's a whole bunch of like that. that I enjoy I think almost all of the classics, like I, I grew up on a tiny island. So the moment I saw Jaws, this, this is it. Years later, I, I saw uh, Event Horizon. And mm-hmm. I thought it's one of the smartest movies I've ever seen. Why aren't people talking about this type of movie? If we're talking low budget, Lake Mungo lives in my heart. Talk about a... <laughs> love that movie. Yeah, it's it's an amazing film. So yeah, I I tend to do, depending on my mood, I will either look for comfort, the thing, movies like that, or I will just randomly click on anything that comes up on Shutter or sometimes Tubi. Yes, let's come come through Tubi. (laughs) Yeah, so I'll just click on on absolutely. You love Tubi. Yeah, it's awesome. And they always have new stuff. And then you just click and then you're, I think the the beauty of, of our genre is, you can watch three or four movies that you're not completely happy with, but you keep watching because you know that gem is coming. A moment. There's a moment that's the reason you're watching the movie, right? And, and that's the moment you're waiting for. It's like, oh, the, this works. This, this, okay, this is good. This yeah. is good. All right, bring it home. Bring it we, home. You got we me. love that feeling and we hate it when they, they fumble right at the end zone with that <laughs> ending. No. But yeah, you know, what's interesting is we're, we're in tough and uncertain times still grappling with covid uh, i think a lot more people will be learning that that masking needs to be the norm uh, i i pretty much haven't stopped masking that a lot of people did and i think a lot of people are learning oops better go back to masking political uncertainty climate uncertainty it, it's almost like a state of denial just to go through life without thinking about ocean temperatures and 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 the the kinds of changes that are are happening right before our eyes 
How do you see the relationship between being a horror writer and navigating true life horror? We we talked about the, the therapeutic nature of it. I know there are things that I cannot do. So I one of my dreams is to punch Ted Cruz in the face. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. I oh, might go to prison for that. And I don't want that. <laughs> no, you can't go to prison. Uh, exactly. I got I got I got things to do. So I will find a way of of using that anger as a sort of, okay, I can't do this one thing, but I can. There's a scene, the devil takes you home where a bunch of racists gets, gets, you know, they get their asses kicked outside of a barbecue joint. So after writing that, it's not in a bad mood. You're smiling. You're like, ah. <laughs> it See, does help. There's, there's a lot of justice that to be dished out in, in fiction. <laughs> and it's also this, the beauty of controlled chaos. Like I can't, I can't tell uh, the Supreme Court to undo every bad decision that they've done recently. Um, I can't control that. I, I can't mm. control racism. I can't control bigotry. I can't control anti-trans attacks. But fiction you can control. You can edit. You can rewrite. It's one of the same reasons why I love reading it. Because you you get to pick how far you go. And then you close the book. And you, you can control it. You know where it ends. And you can choose to keep reading. Or you can stop here. Violence is is everywhere. It's, it's part of life. Horror just goes, hey. Here's a tool. Violence is a tool. Um, use it to say something. Mm. Um, so it's 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 easier to play with that and manage that than to just read the news and then you just want to punch a wall. So. And I have to say, I don't know how you live in, in Texas. No offense to listeners. Yeah. And I have loved ones who live in Texas, too. So I'm not picking on you, but. I'm a, a refugee from Florida, living in California. I marvel at all the politics down there, and and it's never been comfortable in Florida, but it's it's more uncomfortable now, even than when I left, which has not always been the trajectory. I, up until a certain point, it felt like I could see things getting better and better and better, and that still happens. But then there are these really ostentatious examples of ways that things are being rolled back and getting worse. How do you tolerate Texas, man? (laughs) I think the easy answer to that is I live in Austin. So there's a slight difference. And the other one is like, I've been, I have a sister in Florida. I have a lot of friends in Florida. Before the pandemic, I would drive 17, 18 hours overnight to Orlando and spend time with them. It's not a lot better in Florida. And then I see other states and it's like, I could move to California, but I went to California for the LA Festival of the Book last year and I walked around and I saw the homeless population. Unhoused population. Yes. Skyrocketed and the prices of, of living in, in California. And then like, am I am I going to take my my brown face to like <laughs> Nebraska? No. Like, I, I can't handle winters. Like I'm not, I'm not, I'm not built for that. I just take me to the beach. And, and then ultimately there's like a few spaces that I love. I love New York city after 10 days in New York city. I'm like, all right, I need to see a tree. I need to get out of here. And uh, yeah, I need peace and quiet. Um, so is it really home? Austin's home. Home's home. Home's Puerto Rico. Like, but then okay. I go there. My parents haven't had, uh, Monday through Sunday of power, like seven days in a row since Maria hit. So it's like, am I going to go back to that? And then there's no, no jobs for me there. What uh, part of uh, Puerto Rico are you from? Uh, I was born in Rio Piedras, right next to the university and okay. grew up in Carolina. So it's like, there's, you know, Carolina is one of our centers of, of like crime. So mm. I moved there and and, and try to, make a new life with my job now which is like i would have to travel to the states almost every month to do an event or do i go back and try to get another office job uh, so it sounds like you've actually given it thought not just because i asked you but this is something that you asked yeah. yourself about yes no the plan was to come in here get my phd and leave I was I was never a cowboy. I I was never a, you know, Texas is the best. Texas is the biggest. And, and then I moved in here. One of my first big projects of the the school of journalism. I had an entire class working on um, the east side, which is where I live now, and and studying gentrification on the east side. And I was like, wow, this is a lot of darkness going right underneath. 
like, you know, the, you, you need a new baseball stadium. What do you do? You see all those black folks on the east side, you can just kick them out and mm-hmm. build a big parking lot and you, you build that thing and no one cares. Mm-hmm. Uh, they can't pay property taxes anyway, so it's on them. But but why are property taxes so high? And then you start digging and then you realize that, you know, Dallas, Houston, San Antonio, Austin, they look great from afar. They're amazing cities, nice culture, very diverse, great food, you know, cultural choices. But all of them have like the dark side, which is like, right. you know, you can stand on the fourth ward and see people living with no running water or electricity. And then you lift your eyes up above their houses and there's, there's like the big, shiny downtown Houston. It looks amazing in the background. So I don't know. I think the country needs a little bit of help in every single state. Yeah, I agree. I agree. There are are good people everywhere and not so good people everywhere. And home is where your family is, basically. And and to a degree, your job. Yes. (laughs) Let's not forget about that. Did you do you ever have hopes of being a full time writer? And I asked this as someone who was one for 15 years. And then I decided to go back to teaching or actually to take up teaching because I actually prefer the security of the job. And I love teaching, which gives my inner child the freedom to roam. But I know a lot of authors dream of that. You know, I'm working for myself. Is that part of your plan? So that was that was what I thought I had done with, with The Devil Takes You Home and the big two-book contract. And I like to tell my students, like, writing is amazing. Writing saved my life. Writing is the thing that I love. Writing is art. And then you have publishing, which is like a whole different thing. And it's on this other side and it doesn't have to do a lot of, you know, it doesn't have to do with writing some of the time. Right. <laughs> so uh, as soon as I hit that goalpost, which is what I was like, all right, I can keep the lights on. I can pay my insurance out of pocket because I have this money coming in and it's a two book deal. So those payments are going to be lasting me for like four years. Do I want to stop teaching. And then I realized I'm still paying my car insurance out of pocket, my health mm-hmm. insurance out of pocket. Riders don't have a 401k. That's just like, you don't have that. You don't have a retirement plan. All this stuff that it comes from, from having a normal job. And, and to the point where I was like, I am not leaving my online classes. It gives me some kind of structure. I can work online. I I stay in touch with students. I force myself to know what's happening in in, in publishing. I'm forced to discuss things like contracts with them. It constantly reminds me how much I've I've done and traveled in the last 14 years. So I I will never go back to a high school thing where it's like I have to be in the building at 7 a.m. and then probably 7 p.m. before I get back home. Um, hopefully I won't have to do that. So for me, the whole writing full-time thing is like, I can have some sort of teaching job or a low rest MFA or my online classes. And then I can wake up and write in the morning. If I feel like it, turn in reviews to all those places that you mentioned. So for now, this feels comfortable. Like if I can cover my, my, my rent and I can have my, my health insurance covered, I like to have that and you know, teaching doesn't pay, but it's a it's a certain amount that you're gonna yeah. get every single month, and you can yes. rely on that. If you're, for example, my publisher in France has been sending royalties since June to an account that doesn't exist, so mm. you can't rely on that money. So it's a, while I figure all that out, I still teach. Um, I get it, and I'm I, I agree with you 100. I'm I'm a lot happier with my lifestyle. <laughs> Now that I'm teaching, and we also teach online classes, so you know there's there's two basic things that motivate all human beings: moving away from pain and toward pleasure. Yeah, and the truth <laughs> is that as long as you're worried about survival, as long as you're not absolutely certain how you're going to pay the rent and have food on your table and pay your you know your health expenses, it's very difficult to create. That that a lot of people feel that their pain motivates them. So they will sabotage their own success. So they kind of constantly stay in that state of, I'm doing great. Oh, everything's falling apart. I'm doing great. It's like they don't have permission to thrive. So what you've done is to create a safe space for your creative self. You do it. You have a day job that takes care of those basics. And now you get to dream. You know, And, and to me, that's being adult. 
To me, that's just acknowledging the realities of the world. And adulting hurts. It's yes, a, it does. Complicated thing. Uh, it's not what we imagine. It's, it is not. And, and I think The Devil Takes You Home did fairly well. And I think awards and award nominations are incredibly fantastic. And I'm, I'm so happy they all go into your CV. Then there's another book coming and you don't know what's going to happen with that one. It could do better or it could be dead in the water because we never know how those no. books do. So there are no guarantees. You never what, do. There are no that, guarantees. What's that you know, next the- book? Oh, sorry. I'm just excited. No, no, no. Go for it. Go for What's it. it called? And when is it coming out? Uh, I don't think it has a, a, a title yet because uh, I sent, I suck at titles. Uh, so uh, I sent it in with a title and uh, my editor at Mulholland, and Josh Kendall, who's read everything said, I like it, but there's like a 1986 uh, UK crime novel that has this mm. title. So we're not going with that. And we, we were talking about uh, going into dark spaces when I was uh, in high school, about to graduate high school. One of my best friends, uh, his mom used to work at a club checking IDs. And uh, she got two bullets to the face while checking IDs in, in, in a drive-by. And mm. I remember back then, I was already trying to be a writer. Writing Every horror writer, I think, has a folder of crappy poetry somewhere in their house. So that was me in high school. (laughs) And I knew I wanted to start a story with that because obviously that happened and we were heartbroken and everybody cried for days. And then it was, it was Latino macho culture. So the next thing was obviously vengeance. We're going to find out who did this and we're going to make them pay. Right. That that didn't happen because the street has levels and the kind of people that hang out of windows and and shoot people on a sidewalk, they don't care if you think you're a badass in a in a Tarantino movie. So that never happened. But I knew I wanted to start a story there. I wanted to fictionalize that that horrible event as you're like gearing up to like some people are going to go to college. Some of us are not going to go to college. And that's a that's a dark space. And finally, after the the first couple of months after the devil takes you home came out, once you shouldn't believe it, everything that people tell you. But once I started getting good feedback, like a Tanana Reeve blurb, you go, like, <laughs> hey, maybe I'm not as awful as I think I am. So let me try this story out. And that's the next novel. It starts there, and then and then obviously there's a hurricane because. Yes. And then they, this group of friends, they, they use the cover of darkness and, you know, the mayhem and chaos that follows a hurricane when you, you don't see a single cop for weeks and weeks after a hurricane. So they use that to try to figure out who killed their friend's mom. And they found, you know, some other stuff. I was going to say, hold on. <laughs> I don't keep telling. I mean, I, you, you had me at, you had they me a shot in the face. Some things. Some things had, and some pictures and some stuff. So what was, uh, I gotta ask, what's the first what's the first sentence of this story? The first sentence of the story is we were two weeks from graduation the night Bimbo's mom got shot. There you hey, go. Right that's in there. It. I like it. it. I like it. So that's great. Well, I know that Devil Takes You Home is in film development, or at least that was the last I heard. Uh I th- didn't the Am I imagining this? But isn't the person who's developing this the guy who directed One of the Dead? He signed up as the writer. Okay. Love that movie. And uh, um, the writer. The writer. Okay. Yeah, he's writing and directing. What's his Uh, name? Alejandro Brugues. Okay. Okay. We like One of the Dead. And we know Hollywood is up and down, but but do you feel good about that? Or do you have any aspirations to write screenplays yourself? No. No, I think that's a different art form and and it's it's so sort of reduced. Like if you take a novel uh, like the reformatory, it's I I don't want the condensed hour and 30 minute version. When I look at that book, I'm like I want every single sentence, every single bit of atmosphere that you build in there, every description, every bit of dialogue and and you have to really kill your darlings when you when you're writing for for film. But it was it was optioned by by Sony Pictures and, and that felt amazing and I'm sure it gave the the book a boost, but I don't think that's happening. So mm, I don't know. it's hard to say. Well, yeah. I'll, I'll just tell you, it's never happening until it's happening. But the good news is sometimes it is happening, you know. And yeah. and just you just have to sort of you, you see that out 
that incredible outpouring of creativity on screens, you know, television screens, movie screens, so forth. And you know that every one of those things means somebody got through the system. Yes. It happens. You know, it may seem impossible, but the truth is somebody's doing it every day. So it's like, you know, have hope, you know, believe in your dream. And I would say the most important thing to do is to write the things that you love so that you're having fun every day, regardless of what happens, you know, at the end that you, you, you write the things that are close to your heart. So in some ways, the writing is its own reward. The money just allows you to keep writing. That's, that's the way to look at it. Yeah. Hollywood is useful for the occasional check. You know, as long as you don't count on it, don't budget for it. <laughs> yeah, I was just telling, uh, I was telling uh, the mentor person today, I said, short stories is where you learn your craft. Books is where you get paid. Movies are where you get paid really well. <laughs> <laughs> but man, there's an aggravation tax, right? So not yes. everybody's interested in that aggravation tax. In fact, we had a previous writer, we told Gabino you know, at the beginning that we have a sort of a safe word on the podcast, and if you, it, which is Rosebud. So if you ever hear Rosebud, and now I'm going to confuse myself in the edit, you'll know that wasn't <laughs> supposed to be in there. And, and when we were asking about Hollywood, like as soon as I brought up Hollywood, this writer was like, Rosebud, Rosebud, Rosebud. <laughs> you guys did not want to talk about it at all. But it is such a mixed bag. It can be uh, a dream maker and a dream crusher, sometimes in the same experience. It's it's bizarre. But for me, what's alluring about it is the capacity to reach so many more potential readers to send them back, as you mentioned, to the source material, right? So yeah, we had to like chop it. Or if you expand it to a series, we had to add stuff to pad it. But the original always exists and nobody can touch that except you. So that's that's the one saving grace for, for people who are purists in that sense. But yeah, I, I think I'm going to mention now, Steve, that for, for people who feel differently, they can be know about it if they are interested in learning a, a screenwriting hacks and tips. And honestly, for me, it's geared toward people who do other kinds of writing, but they're curious about screenwriting and how to get a leg up in Hollywood, which is something I've been trying to figure out how to do, as I said, for 25 years. So on September 23rd, we're having a Saturday, a three-hour workshop where we are going to share our 10 writer secrets for breaking into Hollywood. And if you want to check that, it's it's the course is $197. But honestly, we are only asking people to pay what they can afford. We've never done that before where we had a set price, but we're like, yeah, hey. We, we just want to see if we believe that our audience are, are fair people who appreciate that we're doing the best we can. So if you can pay $197 or more to provide a scholarship, that's great. But the fact is, if you can't afford it, if you can pay anything at all, we'll let you in. You, yeah, have, and to it's, put, you have to put some skin in the game. Some skin. But, you know, it we'll we'll discount it ninety five percent. We don't care. What we care about is having an audience of people who want to be there, who really want this, who are hungry for it. So just go to www.screenwritingwebinar.com and learn all about it. And you'll find out all about it. Learn all about it. We have a room for a hundred people, and we already have a bunch of signups. Gabino, before we let you go, where can people find you? Are you going to be staying on Shitter? No, I'm kidding. I shouldn't keep saying that. <laughs> I, I know I got you that blue sky invite, but I, yes. I, I admit, <laughs> I admit it's a little bit like tumbleweeds blowing down a dusty road on that site so far. Not that many people. Really, really hard to find anything that comes close to the engagement of what Twitter was at its heyday. So where, where can people find you most consistently? Well, before I say anything about me, I want to help sell this screenwriting course. Oh, okay. <laughs> Let me tell you the reason why I don't go into that is the same reason why I don't write like, you know, high fantasy, because uh, I can't keep that story going for seven or nine books. I can't do that. That's a special <laughs> skill. And uh, I remember a study coming out. Uh, someone in the UK did a whole bunch of interviews on the street. And I think it was four out of every 10 men uh, in the UK thought they could win a set against Serena Williams. It's like, no, you cannot. <laughs> so it's every time. Not I'm even like, if they're not even if they're actually good tennis players. Good tennis players, right? Yeah. Uh, so your average couch potato will probably die of a heart attack. Oh, absolutely. Get get a set. But the thing with screenwriting is like 
you see it and and then you think that if I watch a lot of movies, I have a good understanding of how that is. And then I'm also a novel writer. So it'll be natural for me to transition. No, it's not that natural. (laughs) No. No. So we'll take a class because there's a lot of stuff that uh, we do differently, which makes screenwriting something that for for folks is just like novelists. That's what they do full time because they're really good at it. Well, and you know, I will say this also, Gabina, not everyone will want to work in Hollywood, but it is my firm belief that every prose writer should at least take one screenwriting course, or at the very least, watch your favorite movies while you read a script, like the the final draft, because... Because learning how to write screenplays not only can help make people more visual writers in their prose, but there's... Even a bad script is closer to being a movie or a TV pilot than a book. And it's the money. It's the seat at the table. What were you going to say, Steve? Well, I was just going to say that in a very real sense, Hollywood is Everest. That in a sense, not absolutely, because there's Bollywood and Nollywood and New York and, you know, in other places have the film industries. But there are ways in which Hollywood is the mecca for creativity for the entire world. The best of the best of the best try to make their living here. And if you can get into this game, steel sharpen steel, you're going to run into other people who have brilliant insights into storytelling. And just as the experience, I think that it's worth it just to see how does how is the sausage get made? How do the laws get made? How do movies get made? What is that process? For those who have that sense that they would like to see what it is, I strongly suggest it. It is amazing once you find out what this is. There are incredibly smart, talented, driven people. And the the fact that so many movies and television shows are mediocre is not because the talent isn't there. It's because the process itself is extraordinarily complex. And to understand that. Starting with formatting. Starting with formatting. I didn't write screenplays for years just because I was mystified by the formatting and not not interested. It's like, ah, that's Well, what I love, the thing I love the most that we're actually going to be teaching about is what is demystifying the writer's room. Mm -hmm. Because the writer's room is an externalization of the process every writer goes through in terms of brainstorming and finding ideas and juggling things, so forth. And they simply found a way to do that for a room full of people, which is why long-form television is probably the best writing in the world right now. You know, things like Breaking Bad. You couldn't do Breaking Bad in a movie. You couldn't do that. Mm. How is that done? How do they maintain the consistency, the story threads? It's worth it to understand that, and it will have impact on your work as an individual. That's that's all. We we think so. So, again, check it out at www.screenwritingwebinar.com. Now, Gabino, where can people find you? Uh, Oh, right. That was the book. Yes. Well, thank you for the, the Blue Sky invite. I will say this, it's a little slow going and it's a little clunky, but yesterday, no, two days, three days ago, I can't remember now. I started, since you sent me that invite, I I thought, all right, so let me take stock. Like racial slurs that I've been called, zero. You know, transphobic jokes that I've seen, zero. Uh, Nazi sympathizers that I've encountered so far, none. So it's like, (laughs) it seems a little better. Yeah. Um, it is better than the other place in that regard. So hopefully I will stay there trying to, you know, get it off the ground. I'm still on the, on the, on the shitter. Uh, <laughs> because, uh, a lot of people are refusing to leave and, yes, and they are. that's good. I think that's good. You know, I'm, I refuse to let that man win, be there. I'm uh, beginning to think uh, we're going to outlast him. I'm really beginning to think. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Billionaires get tired easily because they have the yeah. money to do other stuff. You know, right. I, I had dinner with Elon Musk once, oh. and I think he's I think he is accurate when he says that he's on the spectrum. I think that he is oblivious of social niceties, and because of that, he should never have touched a social network. He yeah. literally did not understand. You know, physics is easy compared <laughs> to, compared to getting a a, a billion people or hundreds of million people to interact with each other in a fluid way. It, Twitter was a miracle and he broke it. So yes. he needs to get the hell out and get back to putting, you know, a rocket on the on Mars or something. <laughs> yeah. Go, go keep making cars. It, I mean, financially paid out, you know, yeah, that's good. right. He's yeah, a very so, smart guy. So he, he, he is the definition of the Peter principle. He <laughs> found an area in which he, his brain does not work. <laughs> not at all. Not to live there. 
Not at all. It's right. So you're there and you have, uh, you don't have a website. So I guess social media is the best place for people to find you. Oh yeah. I joined a, a TikTok a long time ago and I'm I'm trying to make more videos. Me too. I'll follow you. So we'll support each other. You're on there. Awesome. Yeah. Like yeah, I said, I like to, I'm very visual. So in one regard, I really like it, but I also don't like that when I go in there, I can't, it's harder to scroll. Like I like to see all of it <laughs> laid out. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it makes it harder to do that. Every new place is a mystery and it has a learning curve and there's only so much time. Thank goodness I had summer to figure out the new social media platforms. Because <laughs> come fall, I'm just going to be busy, 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 as I know you will too. Anyway, thank you so much, Gabino, for being here oh, on the podcast. Everybody go out and make yourself the hero or heroine in your own story. The hero in the adventure of your lifetime. Take care. Goodbye, everybody. You've been listening to the Life Writing Podcast. Join us next time for more conversations about creating the project of your dreams. For more information, go to lifewritingpremium.com and get ready to write for your life.